Some folks have seen pictures depicting a great scene from a book called Dante's Inferno. Dante was the philosopher and the Inferno was his book. And in this picture you have this evil looking character with horns and a, and a tripod and that's supposed to be the devil. And, and, and people scoff at that imagery and probably rightly they should. But it, it tells us, it informs us of a perception that many people have of this idea of hell. What is hell? Some of our friends and neighbors, some of the people that we love, ask the question, how could a loving God send people to a place of eternal fire? That's a question that people wrestle with. And as we have finished in our adult Bible class, a study on the book of Revelation, we come to this idea of, of what is it that God is doing? How is it that God could make this happen if God is a loving God, if God's a caring God, if God's an all-powerful God? And so we want to consider these questions this morning. We want to consider the question that some of our friends and neighbors might ask us, what does the Bible really say about heaven and hell? And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. I want us to begin by thinking about the fact uh, that there is a separation that takes place on that day of judgment. And Scripture abundantly talks about these things. So briefly, let's just set the stage for what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let's look at John chapter 5, verse 28. John chapter 5 and verse 28. And I want you to notice the words of Jesus here in John chapter 5 and verse 28. Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So we look at this just to note that there is a time coming in which God will return, Christ will return, and he'll separate those folks who did good deeds, those who did bad deeds. We see a similar concept in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31, in which Jesus again is talking about that day of judgment. And he says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, again, the words of Jesus speaking, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and, will, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And the rest of the chapter depicts what that's going to be like. But this is a time in which God's coming back, Christ is coming back, He's sitting on his throne, and he's going to make a, a judgment. And so that day is coming. Uh, we'll look at one other passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. This time, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he's writing to Christians in the Greek city of Thessalonica. Notice what Paul has to say to us here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. Now we'll back up to verse 6 so we get the full sentence. Paul says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you as well 
or to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 9, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I want you to hang on to that thought. We'll come back to that later. But what these verses that we've looked at so far, they just set the stage for really what we want to talk about this morning. They set the stage for us to realize that there is a day coming. And on that day, Christ is going to sit on His throne, and He's going to make a determination. And based on that determination, two fates await. And that's really what we want to talk about today. One of those fates is not such a pleasant thing. One of those fates will be a day of rejoicing and exuberation, exuberance. So let's start by thinking about what is hell. I want to think about hell on earth. What was that? I want to think about a spiritual hell. We want to think about heaven. Let's start by thinking about this idea of hell on earth. The word hell comes from two Greek words, Gehenna. By the time of the first century, they were kind of run together, Gi, meaning valley, and Hinnom, meaning the valley of Hinnom. It was a very real place. It was uh, on the outside of Jerusalem, uh, and it's mentioned several times in Scripture. Uh, it didn't always convey an idea of a negative place. It was just a valley like any number of valleys. But there are things that took place in the Valley of Hinnom throughout the history of Israel on up to the day of Jesus' life that made hell a really nasty place. And it became uh, an analogy for a place you don't want to be. And so we want to look at this. We're not going to look at all these scriptures, uh, but go ahead and turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 3. Remember, 2 Chronicles is the last of the books of history in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verses 28, or chapter 28, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 2 and 3. And just notice what it says about the Valley of Hinnom. Now we'll start in verse 1 to get the full context. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what is right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the bells. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. And so Ahaz was king of of Judea, of Judah rather. And he goes out and he does, according to the practices of Baal worship, he burns incense in the valley of Hinnom. But he also does something extremely deplorable, and that is he burned his sons. That is to say he sacrificed his sons to these pagan gods in the valley of Hinnom. Now I want you to understand in the Old Testament, we see two practices of, of antiquity. One was, you believed in either pagan gods of the earth, or you believed in pagan gods of the sky. And so many times you see in the Old Testament, people building shrines and temples in valleys, because that's closest to the middle of the earth, right? 
And then you see people building temples and shrines on the top of mountains because that's highest to those gods of the sky. But what Ahaz does is, even though he is the king of God's people, he goes out and he practices these pagan practices, even burning his children, sacrificing them in this valley, this valley of Hinnom. And so from this point forward, the valley of Hinnom is always a place of wickedness and idolatry and disgusting behaviors. We can see some of these other things. We're not going to look at these, but I want you to just notice these things. Manasseh made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Hinnom, chapter 33, verse 6, here in 2 Chronicles. Uh, God declared uh, that Hinnom would be a, a burial place uh, because of its idolatry, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31. Uh, some of the sons of Judah made their sons pass through the fire, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 35, in the valley of Hinnom. Josiah destroyed the idols from Hinnom in 2 Kings chapter 23, and verse 10. That's a good thing. By the time we get to Jesus' day, the Valley of Hinnom was no longer a place of idolatry and pagan worship. It was the garbage dump. And they kept that thing constantly burning. But it wasn't just any garbage dump. It was a garbage dump where if someone was killed in an unclean way, maybe they were killed at the point of a Roman sword, Maybe they were a criminal and they suffered persecution. They didn't get to be buried in a tomb. Their bodies were simply thrown in the Valley of Hinnom. And the Valley of Hinnom was always kept burning. And so that's the idea of hell that we, that we see. In Jesus' day, it had become that. And hell was outside the city, away from the temple. But every place that we see in the New Testament talks about hell it's mentioned in a Jewish context. Uh, oftentimes, why Jesus is in Jerusalem or associated with Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30, when he says, if your body part causes you to sin, it's better to cut it off and throw it out than to be lost in hell, the Valley of Hinnom, the place where your body burns. I believe Jesus is using this as an analogy to talk about a place you don't want to go. Uh, Jesus says again in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, uh, fear the person, fear him who can destroy both your body and soul in hell. He says don't fear someone that can persecute you. Don't fear someone that can do harm to your body. Fear the one who can destroy both your body and soul in hell. And he again draws on that analogy, I believe, in that context. Let's talk about hell being a place that you don't want to go. It's a place of constant burning. Matthew 18, verse 9, Jesus talks about fiery hell. Uh, Jesus talks to the Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, and again in verse 33, telling the Pharisees uh, that they're making people become sons of hell. And he asks them, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Finally, in Luke chapter 12, and verse 5, again, Jesus reiterates the parallel passage, fear the one who has the authority to cast you into hell. The only other reference in the New Testament that talks about hell is in James chapter 3. Of course, James is writing to a Jewish audience, probably in Jerusalem. And so a people that knew about this. Otherwise, we don't see this word used in the New Testament. But the thing I want you to have in mind is what was this place? As we've already mentioned, it was a place of constant fire. Look at Mark chapter 9 and verse 43. Mark chapter 9 and verse 43. 
Notice how Jesus describes it according to Mark's account in the, of the gospel. Mark chapter 9, verse 43, Jesus says, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than for having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. Hell was described as a place, and certainly that physical hell outside of Jerusalem was described as a place that was constantly on fire. It was unquenchable because nobody would quench it because it was deliberately kept constantly burning. And so what do we make of that? What, what conclusions do we come from? When we look at that place known in Scripture, that physical place of hell, that valley of Hinnom, it was a place constantly of burning. It was a place where idolatry, divination, and abominations were practiced. It was a place where the rejected dead, the criminals were thrown. And it was a place outside the city. And what did that say when we looked at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8? That those who do not know God or those who do not obey the gospel of God will face a penalty away from the presence of God. Keep that in your mind. Here again, we see Jerusalem and we see hell as being that valley outside the city. We consider the analogy in Revelation as we've been studying on our Sunday morning Bible class. It's simply stated that there are those who are in the city and those who are outside the city. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 22 those of you who are in that class. And notice, again, what we find here in Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. John says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral, the persons uh, and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Folks, there's a decision that we can make in our lives. Are we going to wash our robes in white and therefore have a way into the city of God and live with God? Or are we going to choose to continue living a life where we choose to be outside the city of God, to be outside the presence of God? What choice are you going to make? Let's think about this choice that we have to make a little bit further. We notice that outside of the city is that place that's called the lake of fire. That's not a pleasant place. Satan is there because he's been thrown there as his punishment. Notice this in Revelation chapter 21, the contrast. Chapter 21, verse 1, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, ready, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. But again, outside this city, verse 8, before the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire, or be in the lake that burns with fire, and brimstone, which is the second death. So we see this description of this place, this very unpleasant place, that's described as a lake of fire, a lake whose substance is brimstone and sulfur, 
And it's called the second death. It's the same place, chapter 20, verse 10 of Revelation, where Satan has been thrown. In that verse, it says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet also are. And they are tormented day and night forever. Verse 14 describes this as the second death. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And so we have this description for us of this place that is very unpleasant, this place of burning, this place of anguish. And yet just like the hell of the Gospels that Jesus talks about was outside the city of Jerusalem, so this lake of fire is outside the city of God. It's away from God, away from His presence. And so that leads us to consider what is this place? Is it a physical place? Is it a spiritual place? What's God really going to do with the folks that find themselves there? And we need to go back and we need to consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. We only looked briefly at Matthew chapter 25, but I want us to go back there now. And notice what Jesus says about that great day of judgment. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 40, or look at verse 46. I want us to go ahead and pick up in verse 31 and notice the separation. And then notice what happens of this separation. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And so Jesus begins to have a conversation with Him at that day of judgment. He says, look, those of you on my right, you... You clothed me when I was naked. When I was in prison, you, you came to visit me. And when well, I needed something to drink, you gave me something to drink. And you know the story. They cry out and they say, well, when did we do all those things, Jesus? And Jesus says, whenever you saw the least of me or the least of these, and you gave them something to drink, you gave them food, you gave them clothing, you gave them a place to sleep, you did that to me. And then he's going to look to the ones on his left and he's going to say, look, you didn't clothe me. You didn't give me a place to stay. You didn't, you didn't take care of me. You didn't come visit me when I was in jail. And they're going to say, when did we do all those things? We didn't do any of those needs. Look at all these great things that we've done over here. And Jesus says, you didn't do it to the least of these. And when you didn't do it to them, you didn't do it to me. And then look at verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus describes the penalty as being everlasting. Jesus does not call it a destruction. He calls it a punishment that is everlasting. The word for punishment here is used in only a couple other places in the New Testament. In extra-biblical sources in Judaism and the early church fathers, it was used for severe punishment. How do you discipline your kids? Aren't there some punishments that are a little bit worse than others? 
I mean, there are some punishments. Go sit on the step for five minutes. I mean, is that really tough? If you're two, that's tough. Just kind of sit in one spot for, for five minutes. If you're a teenager, not so bad, right? But then there are those punishments where you are crying and you're, you know, you've got the tears coming down. You don't want that punishment. When you're a teenager, sometimes the punishment is you don't get to drive the car for a week. And my kids are never going to get to drive the car. <laughs> but when I was a kid, that was a bad punishment, right? You don't get to drive a car for a week. You don't get to go over to your friend's house. You don't get to do whatever. Uh, for our kids today, taking away a cell phone or an iPad or computer privileges for a period of time, that might make the tears start flowing. There are some punishments that are worse than others. But the word for punishment here was a word that meant a severe punishment. Some translators even translate it torment, almost torture. And Jesus says those here in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, they are going to a place of everlasting, eternal punishment. He doesn't describe it as destruction that lasts forever. He describes it as punishment. And that's important because there are some good folks. There's one author in our brotherhood that I, I've read a lot of his books. I just really like his writing style and all that kind of good stuff. But he wrote a book about what's going to happen in the Day of Judgment. One of the things he suggests is, well, maybe it's really saying that the punishment forever. Maybe it's just you get your punishment and the consequences of that punishment forever. But a dead soul, so you know any better. I don't know that that's what this is saying. I can't agree with him on that. Because here Jesus describes it as a punishment, that the punishment lasts forever. And it keeps on going. It's important to notice that a few verses earlier in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the punishment in the lake of fire, that the fire is described as being an eternal fire. And here too, as we look at what Jesus says, this is a punishment that lasts forever in a not pleasant place. And so we want to avoid that. Look at verse 41. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 26, 25 rather, then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, the fire is described as being an eternal fire. This comes from a Greek adjective, which means everlasting. And everlasting can mean that sometimes it's without a beginning or an end. Sometimes this Greek adjective was used to describe something that had no beginning. It was just always there. Sometimes it refers to uh, something that has no end. But again, in verse 46, he uses the same adjective to talk about that punishment. In other words, this is something that doesn't end. Now, I want you to think about 1 Corinthians 15 for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that great long chapter in which Paul is talking about what's us on the day of judgment. And he says, everyone's going to be changed. If you're alive when Jesus comes back, everyone's going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. If you're dead at the time, you're going to be raised. And Paul says, 
you're going to be raised a spiritual body. You're going to be raised a heavenly body. You're going to be raised an immortal body. But you see, everybody's going to be raised. That's what Jesus has said in Matthew chapter, John chapter 5, verse 28, that we looked at earlier. Everyone is going to be raised in a spiritual, immortal body. And if that's the case, then hell's not this place next to Jerusalem. Because the earth's going to be done away with. There is not going to be an earth anymore. But hell, Jesus felt, was a good analogy for describing this place where there is always punishment. There's always suffering. There's always anguish. I shared with some of you a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, back over the course of the winter, I built a fire in the fireplace, and it was nice and cozy fire, but there was one log that wasn't burning. I thought, I'm just going to flip that thing over. Stuck my hand in there. I didn't see the coals on the other side. That rascal hurt all morning long, all day long. I had to sleep with my fingers in a bowl of aloe, aloe, uh, you know, and finally and I, I gave Bayer, you know, their full uh, financial backing with all the aspirin I took, right? And that was just an instant. If this is a real spiritual place and Jesus is trying to get across to us the idea this is not a place that you want to be, how might you describe that? A place that is constantly on fire gets my attention. Does it get your attention? As a place you don't want to be. As a place that you don't want to spend your eternity. And yet God gives us a choice. That first passage that we read in Revelation, chapter 22, verses 14, verse 14 says, those who wash their robes are able to come into the city. You don't have to have that, but you see, it's not God being mean to us, it's us choosing whether or not we are going to follow God. And if we choose to follow God and we wash our robes and make them white, then we can come into the city. And we don't have to worry about all of this. Jesus says that's eternal life. That's the place you want to be. And so let's think about, what about heaven? What is heaven going to be like? And again, we come back to Revelation chapter 21, and we see a description there of heaven as being a place in which we are in the presence of God. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 2, John says, I saw a holy city, a, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. He who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. 
And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. There is a contrast, a place where there is constantly pain and suffering and anguish away from the presence of God. But then there is exactly the opposite. We are with God. God is among us. He's walking with us. He's talking with us. And he calls us sons And there's no more crying there. There's no pain there. There's no mourning there. There's no suffering there. Which one of those two places sounds best for you? John says, this is what I saw. Only the pure can enter this city. Verse 22, Revelation 21. John says, I saw no temple in that city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by the light. And the king of the earth will bring their glory into it. In daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the, the, honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the book of Lamb, in the Lamb's book of life. This is a place for the pure. Those who have cleansed themselves with the blood of the Lamb. Those whose names are therefore written in Lamb's book of life. And this physical life, with all of its strife, all of its ills, have been done away. One last thing I want you to think about. Chapter 22, verse 3, John says, There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. This word for serve is the word which means Priestly service. Priestly service. Like the priest in the temple would serve God, the same Greek word is used for serve here that describes that service. We're going to be priests of God in heaven, in His presence. As we think about the question, why would a loving God throw people away? Why would a loving God let people be thrown into a place that's so despicable, a place of, uh, of unimaginable horrors, a, a place of unimaginable pain and suffering? And the question is not an accurate question because it's not God throwing them there. The better question is, why would you choose that? When a loving God has done everything to open the gates of his city, to make sure that they are never closed, 
to make sure that you have a way to wash your robes so that you can live in eternity with him. And you come in, not as some stranger, but as his son. And that you get to reign with him forever. That's the question. And maybe you're here this morning, and you want to avoid being among those who choose not to follow God, who choose not to live with God for an eternity. But you're making a different choice. And your choice is to live with God forever. You can do that by washing your robes and making them white in the blood of Christ by being united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. If that's what you need to do this morning, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.